The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Hi, and welcome to It's Relatable on Mind, Body, Spirit FM, where we talk about all things relationship. I'm your host, Carrie O'Driscoll, and I'm so happy you're here. Get comfortable and let's dig in. Hi, and welcome to another episode of It's Relatable. Today, I am going to talk with Dr. Julie Pham about our relationship to respect. And let me tell you a little bit about her so you can understand why. She is the founder and CEO of Curiosity Based, an organizational development firm that's run in um, out of Seattle, but they do remote work as well. Dr. Pham has been recognized with numerous awards for her community leadership and has applied her community building approach to creating strong, collaborative, curious teams within different organizations. Julie was born in Saigon, Vietnam, and raised in Seattle, and she earned her PhD in history at Cambridge University and graduated magna cum laude from the University of California, Berkeley. She earned her real-life MBA by running her family's Vietnamese-language newspaper during the 2008-2010 to recession, and she has worked as a journalist, a historian, a university lecturer, a marketer, a nonprofit executive, and a management consultant, and she is also an author. So the reason that she and I are talking today is because of her book called The Seven Forms of Respect. The book looks at the ambiguity of what it means to respect others, and it offers thought-provoking questions and exercises that can help you sort of transform your relationships with others by really asking some some key questions about what does it mean to respect somebody and what does it mean to be respected? And is that different in different situations? This book teaches you a new vocabulary, actually, to communicate what respect means. And I really wanted to talk about this with her because I think that a lot of us have a desire to be respected. In some cases, we might demand to be respected, but we don't always understand what it means to someone else to be respected. And sometimes we haven't even really defined for ourselves what it, what that looks like. What does it look like for you to respect me? And I think it's important for us to kind of unpack that so that we can strengthen our relationships with each other. So I'm hoping that this is going to be a really fascinating conversation. And I hope that you all go find Julie at her website afterwards. She's also on LinkedIn, um, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and she's got some free courses, some free digital courses and resources for folks. So if you're, whether you're just an individual that's looking to shift your relationships with the people in your life or someone who wants to do that in a workplace setting, 
settle in and check out our conversation today. And thanks for tuning in. All right, here we go. I am really excited to be talking with Julie today. Um, and we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. So I, the first question that I have for you in this conversation about our relationship to respect is what is it that drew you to this subject? What is it that made you want to start sort of diving in and looking at um, respect and teaching and writing about it and just examining all of that? I think that there's the epiphany moment and and then looking back, I was like, oh, and there are all of these other times that kind of led to this. And yeah. so the epiphany moment was, um, was well, there are actually two epiphany moments. One was I was on a panel for, uh, it was a leadership panel and someone in the audience asked, hey, I'm really trying to show trust to my coworker and I'm doing all these things and he just won't trust me and I don't know what to do. Hmm. And I said, oh, well, maybe you're doing something. Maybe you're sharing all of your stories about your personal life. And what he really wants you to do is be on time. Mm. And maybe, and maybe you just have like, different ideas of, of how to get that. And so that was one. And then the other one, I remember I, I ran this uh, cross-sector collaboration fellowship and there was a, a community organizer and an engineer who just could never get along. And the the engineer was always asking these really deep probing questions. And the the labor organizer was just, why ask me all these questions? I got this. Yeah. And and I realized that they had different uh, different ideas of how they wanted to be treated. And so it's first started actually is how do we want to be treated? All and right. so kind of going back, and I've done all this community organizing mm-hmm. around um uh, bringing together people from really different backgrounds and and I'd always just see this friction that would emerge yeah, around how people wanted to be treated mm-hmm. and how they treat one another. And there are just different ideas yeah. and how that would create that friction. Um, and then how I landed on respect though, because at first it wasn't respect. It's just people kept bringing up the word respect. Mm. People kept saying, well, I just want to be respected. I mean, yeah. that's how I want to be treated. I want to be respected. And then, and then as I dug deeper, it was like people had different ideas of what that meant. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it is really fascinating. I had a conversation with a young woman um, one time who um, comes from a Muslim background, but she was born and raised in the United States and her grandfather, she and her grandfather were constantly butting heads and he was from Pakistan. And she was saying, you know, I love him and I know he loves me, but he keeps screaming at me. You don't respect me. And I keep screaming back at him. You don't respect me either. And it, and it was like, yeah, so let's unpack that. Like, what does respect mean to you, right? To him, it meant you defer to me. I get the last word. You listen to me and you don't ask questions. Mm-hmm. And for her, who was raised in the United States, she's a 20-something, she was, respect means you let me push back and ask questions. You let me be curious. You you respect me enough to know what I'm thinking or to be curious about what I'm thinking, right? And so they had these completely diametrically opposed ideas. And she was like, I don't think we're ever going to be able to get along with each other. And so isn't that interesting? Because they both use the word respect and yet they meant different things by it. And so um, something else is that we can actually generally agree on what respect feels like. Mm. Where we disagree is on what it looks like. Because it's like generally like, 
I mean, it's just, I want to feel, I want to feel seen. I want to feel heard. I want to feel admired. I want to feel acknowledged. I want to feel validated, all of these things. And yet what causes me to feel that might be different from what causes you to feel that. Um, And also I think I carry in your example. What's interesting is, um, the, the grandfather who wanted to get these things mm-hmm. didn't think he needed to give them. Exactly. Right. And so when I like that, that was one of the things that I also found in um, my research is like, is that there's different, there's the give, how I want to give respect and how I want to get respect. There are different directions. Mm-hmm. We call it the give versus the get. Yeah. And, um, and so it's not a mirror. Right. It's not a mirror. And yet for some people, it's like, well, no, you need to be mirroring. We need to be equal. And for others, there's actually an inherent hierarchy that we're recognizing. It's like, no, yeah, I have different expectations of how I give and get. Yeah. So what are the kinds of, what are some kinds of things that you can think of that sort of influence the way each of us thinks about respect? Like, you know, I'm sure there are cultural, societal, age and gender factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, like, how do you think we form our D de- our ideas about yeah. what respect is? Yeah. So Carrie, we belong to multiple cultures, communities, and identities at the same time. Right. And they're all tugging at us in different ways. Mm-hmm. Right. And some days it might be, oh, this identity, part of my identity is stronger than this other part of my identity. Right. It may be my Vietnamese identity is stronger than my Gen X identity today. Yes. Right? In other days, it might be the reverse. And so, um, and so what you just, it, there's the, um, there's generation, there's gender, there's, and, and all the, the ideas of that gender in our culture that we grew up in, right? Because that could, it, that could differ too. Where we grew up, right? Pacific Northwest versus California versus East Coast versus the American South. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, there's so many different parts. Uh, there are so many different um, influences. And, and it's actually for us to, to ask ourselves, huh, why do why do I, why does, why do these forms of respect matter to me? And yeah. why do these don't matter to me? And it's, and it's actually like, I ask people to think about there's the what, like, what do I care about? What matters to me? And then there's the why. I like that. Yeah. Because, and I, and I like what you said about, right. It, it's context specific, right? Mm-hmm. It's very different. What I expect um, respect wise from my children might be very different from what I anticipate getting from a coworker or my sibling or, um, and, and so many of those things, I think, unless and until we start to ask those questions, what and why we just sort of take them for granted, right? Because they're just sort of baked into mm-hmm. that like, a cultural family, religion, society, like all of those things that we've been taught our whole lives. Um, and, and we might even feel we're hip, being hypocritical too. Like, oh, why do I want this from this person, but I don't expect it from another person? And so it's just like, well, no, think about the the relationship and the context and the dynamics, the power dynamics. Yeah. Well, and that's right. That's one thing that I talk about a lot when I'm working with um, groups of folks around relationship building is power is one of the things that's the most destructive for relationship, right? You can't 
you can't show up really authentically and vulnerably in relationship with someone who has power over you. So how do, you know, it's like navigating that is a tricky thing too, because our whole culture is, you know, our, our work culture, our school culture, our family cultures are built around hierarchies. And so that brings, I think, a whole other layer in into it. Yeah. I mean, but I don't know how we, um, I mean, I, I think of hierarchies as just being very, it's natural and there, it does bring order. So I don't actually think of it as a, a good or bad. It just is. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that people can abuse it. Mm-hmm. I think people can abuse their power. Um, I also think that with, with opportunity comes responsibility with that. I, I, if, I mean, think about a good boss, right? Just that person, they make, they ultimately make the decision. And then if the decision goes wrong, they also have to take responsibility for that decision. And then they're going to shield their, um, they're not going to throw their team members under the bus because they actually made the final call on that. I mean, that's you know, an ideal situation because I know that there's some bosses that don't do that and they still <laughs> make the decision and throw people under the bus. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but I think, yeah, I mean, it's, we can have hierarchies and still, have an understanding that everybody on our team is here for a reason, right? We all bring a different skill set. We all bring a different perspective and, and sort of respecting that, that Mm -hmm. everybody has their own um, contribution they're making to the ultimate goal, I think is um, sometimes that doesn't get honored, but when it does, it's sort of magic for a team, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think that hierarchy can actually bring clarity Mm. because I think the opposite of that is because I've been in situations and I've seen this in organizations where what people, it's just, oh, we're all equal. We all, and it's very consensus driven. And yet at the end of the day, either a decision doesn't get made and then it it keeps dragging on, right? That's Mm. one. But then the other one is I'm going to still make the decision. And the people are really confused because they thought that they actually got to contribute mm. and they didn't really understand that this person was like, no, I'm I'm getting your input and ultimately I'm making the decision. Right. 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 And so that, I think that there can be um, in, you know, in, in the effort to make everyone feel like we're all equal. And yet, I mean, we can be equal as humans and yet someone does make the decision. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, So back to what you were saying about, you know, asking the questions, you started a company called Curiosity Based. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm, if you could just explain a little bit, like, what does that have to do with respect? And how does that inform your work in this particular area? Yeah, so I started my company two years ago. And I, I realized that in, in all the community building work, bringing people together from different backgrounds, the people who did the best, as in they enjoyed themselves the most <laughs> by the end of a collaboration, they were just like, wow, that was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the ones who who could practice curiosity. Mm. And so that's why that's why I decided to focus the company on curiosity. And Carrie, I have to tell you, in the beginning, I was not very curious. I was very outcomes focused and I was very grumpy <laughs> about like, why are we doing all this? icebreakers and I don't care. Why are we like wasting our time? And it took me, it took, it was my own personal journey to see that I wasn't having fun to realize that. And and I wasn't, people weren't having fun when they were working with me. 
and I looking at who was having fun and who was really enjoying themselves and identifying that uh, curiosity was that. So, um, so now I actually, I used to think of curiosity as a trait mm-hmm. and now I actually describe it as a practice. Yeah. And I, and I liken it to meditation because mm-hmm. meditation looks really easy yet. It's so hard. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I think it's it has become it's a practice, right? Mm-hmm. It's you have to exercise that muscle. Um that's one thing that I with my kids learned, you know, was that instead of just assuming that I knew what their motivations were or that I knew all the context of what was happening, showing up with curiosity not only was good for me to kind of take a step back from the emotional, you know, knee-jerk reaction kind of thing, but it was awesome for them too, because it prompted them to start to think critically about, well, why did I do that? Why did I make that decision? You know, or why is that important to me? Um, And I think that right there is at least as a parent was, it was a great way to show my kids respect, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of me saying to them, like, I think you were just trying to get away with something, you know, asking like, why do you think you did that? And then really listening to the answer and giving them an opportunity to say, okay, well, here are the two things that I was thinking and here's why this was important to me. And it felt more important to do that than to do my homework or whatever, right? And then they start to feel like they have a voice and some agency, and that's kind of a game changer in a relationship with people, I think. Mm-hmm. And what you just described, um, I mean, you can ask them and they may know and they may not know. Yeah. And what it does is it pauses like, why did I do that? Why? And so I think what's interesting is sometimes people fear asking questions because it might feel too much like, oh, they're going to be they think I'm going to be too pushy or they're, uh, this is too probing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and why is that? Because sometimes people do react defensively. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's true. Sometimes when you ask the question, why did you do that? Someone, why are you asking me? I can't believe you're asking me. Mm-hmm. And I think what's, what's happening is actually the other person is they don't know they're feeling something bad, shame, whatever embarrassment for not knowing, but it's, but that's not registering. It's like, I'm feeling embarrassed. It's more like, I can't, I'm going to, I'm going to just, you shouldn't ask me that. Yeah. Versus like, why did you, what would my answer be? Why do I feel upset about this question? Right. Yeah. And so that's, it's, um, uh, so, but, and what curiosity has to do with respect. And I mean, we talked a lot actually just about self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And so I think of the practice of curiosity is boiling down to these three elements. And the first one is self-awareness. Mm. The second is relationship building. And the third is clear communication. Mm. And so if you think about it through a curiosity lens, it's how do I be curious about myself? Mm-hmm. How do I ask myself questions? The second one is how do I be curious about other people? Mm-hmm. And Carrie, let other people be curious about me. Mm. That's the relationship building part. And that's reciprocity. That's the back and forth. I think that's actually missing from a lot of conversations now, because I think that there's this expectation, oh, curiosity means I'll be curious about other people. I also have to let them be curious about me because they're, when I let that happen, their reaction will prompt something in me. Right. And it's that back and forth of that's the relationship building. Yeah. Um, and then that third part is just asking questions and listening with curiosity, mm-hmm. which I think is really, it's so much easier said than done. 
Absolutely. Because I think we have this notion that like that takes too much time. We've mm-hmm. got stuff to do. I need, I, I, I have a to-do list, right? Like I don't have time to be <laughs> building relationship with you. But what that does, I think, is it, it reduces most of our interactions to this transactional kind of thing. And then nobody really feels seen or heard. Yeah. And I think, and I actually think also for leaders, the higher they advance, the less, I mean, the, the listening muscle is not that visible. Yeah. Right? It's the talking muscle that is. So how eloquent you are, how well you get your message across. Mm-hmm. And so, um, because I actually think that the higher people go up, the harder it is to listen because they are giving advice all the time. They're telling people what to do. So, And so it actually takes so much more conscious effort because in the, in the part of that is also because people are deferring to them. Right. right. So it's not that they're just like, oh, I don't want to listen to anyone. It's just like, there's actually an expectation that they will know because they're in this role for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I think communication styles have so much to do with it too. Um, And that's another thing that I talk with folks a lot when I'm working with them um, is around communication styles. Like I'm a super visual person. If I see something in writing, I'm likely to remember it. But Mm -hmm. if you leave me a voicemail message or tell me something when we're together, maybe 30% I'm going to remember because I says things auditorily. I don't, it's ironic that I have a podcast. <laughs> I listen to podcasts without, like I I have to take notes. Mm. I don't remember things unless I write them down. But I think it's like respect, right? Like we, um, you know, you talk about the seven different kinds of respect, seven different forms of respect. And I'm wondering if it's similar to communication styles where we communicate with other people in the way that we want to be communicated with, right? So I'm the queen of post-it notes. I will text people. I will send you an email. I will write you a note. I will write, because that's how I want to be communicated with. Mm-hmm. But I have one kid who is primarily auditory and they're like, could you leave me a voicemail? Because your post-it mm-hmm. means nothing, <laughs> right? And then I have another one that's primarily kinesthetic. And so like, you got to put hands on her and say, hey, I'm going to give you a like a tactile clue. Mm-hmm. Need you to empty the dishwasher, and then she'll remember. But figuring that out, like how it's like the give and receive thing that you were talking about, right? Like I need people to give me visual cues, and it's so helpful for me to know how other people would prefer to be communicated with. Because I'm going to default to post-it notes or text messages. Harry, <laughs> when did you know that you needed that? Like, how old were you when you were first aware of that? That, I you were that kind of visual learner. I don't know that I ever really articulated it, um, but I mean, I was such an avid reader as a kid. I read everything. I read the back of the cereal box in the morning. um, I knew if I went to like a brownie troop meeting and everybody had a name tag on, I would remember their names. Mm -hmm. But if if people didn't have name tags on, there was no way I was. I could be introduced to all of them, and I would never remember their names. It wasn't until I was married that I and my now ex husband was almost completely auditory and he no <laughs> messages and I was leaving him post-it notes and we were <laughs> each other because neither one of us was paying attention. Right. So I was in my early twenties when I finally figured out like, wait a minute, <laughs> we're doing this wrong. We had a swap. Um, but I think I always kind of knew it about myself. Like and inside then, you knew, but you didn't articulate it. Right. Yeah. I couldn't, I didn't know. Cause I think as a kid, you don't, 
you're kind of a narcissist. Like you just think that your worldview is the worldview, right? Um, I just assumed that's how everybody was when I was a kid. And I would say that's, it's just, we just didn't have that self-awareness. Yeah. Right. And that's where the the curiosity about myself, I have to ask myself. And then, and, and then even the, the second part, the relationship building. And when I share bits of what I think I know about myself, other people will react and might even say, for example, I mean, now with like ADHD, it's like, oh, well, you may have this. Like, oh, here I am talking about all of these different symptoms. And someone else may say like, hey, you may have this or you may have that. It's like, oh, I didn't know that. Right. And it's just like the willingness to share. And so, um, I mean, kind of on the communication styles, I think there's, there's definitely, there's, um, definitely elements, um, to that in the, in the forms of respect. I I have, what's been interesting is talking to different people about how they want to layer the forms of respect on top of disc or on top of the, the signals, you know, on top of some other system right. where it's just like, or Enneagram or what is this? And, um, and I really think of it as complementary because it's actually way more dynamic. And cause like for the seven forms of respect, I always have to tell people, this is not respect styles, right? You're not always going to care about this thing. Cause maybe you say, I really want candor from my spouse. I do not want candor from my mom. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Mom, stop it with that candor, please. Yes. No yes. candor. <laughs> you don't want candor from your teenagers either. I'm just telling you that right now. Right? You so see, see, this shows how you can actually want different things. Because why? Because we have different relationships. And yeah. so that's why I really am careful to say, no, I, I actually, we can't just like layer this on top to kind of get to some fixed answer. Yeah. And that was, I mean, I think one of the... um the because with the curiosity part, I think that there's always just there's so much there's so much that we can keep learning about ourselves and about other people, mm-hmm. and um, and because we constantly are changing, right? So so it's not that oh I answered it this way this year because you know what next year I might answer it differently, right? And so there's you know or asking someone else that question they may answer it differently. So. I mean, Carrie, you asked like, what does curiosity have to do with what, what does curiosity have to do with respect? And, and so if we go back to those three elements of the self-awareness relationship building and clear communication, it's also asking myself who and what influence how I think about respect. Mm-hmm. What are, what, what do I care about and why? Yeah. What matters to me? I mean, that's a big, um, the, there are three dimensions to the forms of respect. The first one is hierarchy. The second is give and get. And the third one is what matters to me. Mm. And that requires a lot of self-awareness Yeah, to ask myself, actually, what matters to me? Not just what should matter to me, not what I think I should do. Actually, what do I care about so much? I will do no matter what. Yeah. Um, and then that relationship building part is to under- get curious about other people. What do you, how do you want to be respected? Well, yeah. and here's how I want to be respected from you. Maybe not from other, but from you. And then going to that, the third one of the clear communication mm-hmm. to, because we're uh, like asking all of those questions with ourselves and with other people and to be able to say with precision, hey, I really, um, right, normally I like a lot of candor right now. I just please, oh, 
please withhold your candor, right? Or like right now, I really need this. I really, because otherwise people go to the example of the, of your friend and her grandfather. I want respect. Well, I want respect, right? And so we don't have that clear articulation. And so the the curiosity, the, the communication part of curiosity is also linked to how do I want to, how do I articulate, um, what respect looks like to me? Yeah. And I think I like what you said about, um, you know, in that sort of self-awareness piece and you're asking yourself, what is it that's important to me? What is it that I value? Really being able to hone down on what is it that I value versus what is it that I should, or I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to value. Because I think that's the other thing is, you know, we can get all these external influences that will say, you know, a million different things, you know, oh, you should want your coworker to, you know, loop you in on absolutely everything. Well, maybe I don't because that's overwhelming and exhausting and I don't want to micromanage and, you know, um, or you should want your partner to immediately respond to your text message, even if they're busy to say, I'm too busy. I'll talk to you later. Well, but maybe I, but maybe I know my partner well enough to know that, they're really good about having their phone in a completely different room. And, you know, so, but I think we, without taking that space, that pause to sort of look back and go, okay, here's my knee jerk reaction to the, what is I, what is it that I value or what is it that I want? And now I'm going to go, do I really, where's that coming from? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us don't, often do that. We don't, you know, well, we haven't been encouraged to do it in a lot of spaces. Um, But yeah, I think that understanding ourselves and like, what is really important to me? And maybe this was important to my mom, but it's not important to me. So I don't, (laughs) it's- And Carrie, the the inverse is true too. It's just admitting things that are important to me that other people tell me shouldn't be a big deal. Yes. Right. Because I mean, think about how many times it's like, it's okay that you're late. And inside I'm like, "Ah, freaking so annoyed, but I have to like, basically say it's not a big deal. (laughs) Right. Or like, I actually want, I want acknowledgement, but I don't want to sound petty. So how do I ask for it? Right. I don't want to sound petty. And so, so the inverse can be true too, because I see a lot of people repressing what they want because they've been told or they think that they shouldn't want it or they shouldn't expect it. And so I actually have what I call the rubber band rule. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you've heard of the, there's the golden rule, treat people the way that you want to be treated. Uh And then there is the, um, the platinum rule, treat people the way they want to be treated. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so then they, I have, I'm going to pull out a rubber band here. (laughs) So, um, then there is what I call the rubber band rule, which is we're actually capable of being flexible. Mm. you know, we can actually stretch. Like I know Carrie likes this. So even though I'm kind of ambivalent, I'll do it because I want to show respect to Carrie. Right. And then there are going to be things that we keep doing and stretching, but then there are things that we actually don't like and we don't care about. And yet we find ourselves doing it. Yes. And so what ends up happening is over time, we can snap and break Mm. like a rubber band. Yeah. And so the rubber band rule is about what are knowing, what are my internal breaking points. Yeah. What's going to make me snap and how do I communicate that to others versus either just holding it in because I know or holding it in because I don't know. And I haven't asked myself the question. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I um, have several friends who are pretty neurodiverse and it that flexibility is key, right? For them to be able to say, I, I actually, you know, I'm going to show up to this Zoom gathering and I might lay down. I might, I want to stay on camera because I want to see you all and I want you to see me, but I'm going to lay down on my bed because that's the thing that's the most comfortable for me, right? Mm -hmm. So for them to have the freedom to say that and then for me, you know, to be able to be like, well, that's, you know, that's rude, right? How do I, how do I flex? How do I ask myself the question? Does that really matter? Do I really care if you're laying down all cozy in your bed? Not really, (laughs) you know? Well, and it'll probably matter if you know the reason. Yeah. It helps a lot, right? It helps a lot when you understand people's whys, right? I mean, I know for me, punctuality is really important because growing up, my mom was always late. Mm. And it and it just like, I felt a lot of anxiety. And so literally for me, punctuality, like when people are late or when I'm late, I feel anxiety. Yeah. It's yeah. actually, I feel anxiety and I, I feel it rising up in me, right? And so if you know that story, yeah. you, you understand why you're not just, oh, Julie's being rigid. Yes, I can identify with that. I, punctuality is very important to me, but it was because my dad was a Marine. Mm-hmm. We would get in trouble. Like we would get our butts beat if you were like, you were never late. If you weren't 15 minutes early, you were late. So, and that's how I grew up with that sort of rigidity. And so I try to be flexible about it now, but yeah, I'm the same way. I'm like, I will tell people I'm going to be on time. Yeah. And see, we have totally two different parental experiences though, right? Because my mom was always late and your dad was always on time. And yet we have the same, we have the same feeling around punctuality because we're reacting to it differently because people can have actually the same experience and react differently. People can have different experiences and have similar reactions. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So I'm curious how your ideas about respect have evolved over time for you personally. Mm-hmm. Like, do you remember ever thinking about oh, it? Oh, yeah. Having it be talked about in your home as a kid or at school or... Yeah. I mean, I would say that... Um, it depends. On, so I remember living in Vietnam mm-hmm. and there I had to really think differently about time. Mm. And um, so I think it's it's not so much because I still, punctuality is still very important to me. And yet when I'm in Vietnam, it's just like, it's not I something like I prioritize, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because, because I realized like, well, this is just a lot of people don't prioritize this. And if I prioritize it in a place where they don't prioritize, I'm going to be bitter and resentful all the time. (laughs) So you're just going to drive yourself nuts. (laughs) Right. Right. So, um, and so, I mean, I remember, I remember, um, living there and people would constantly cancel on me last minute. I was Mm. like, what's going on? Why are people canceling? They must know ahead of time. Why is it they're waiting until the last minute? And then my, um, and then I asked a friend who finally explained, oh yeah, they know. And the reason why they wait is because if they told you ahead of time, then it would show that they were making a choice. And the choice was not to be with you. But if it's the last minute, it's an emergency. They have no choice. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. 
I guess that's respectful, right? So, and so that's why I really, I really don't think that there's like anything that's respectful or disrespectful. Mm-hmm. I think that Ashley, this is something that's like a, something Ashley that I've just been thinking about in the last year, um, even since I wrote the book, just making this distinction between disrespect and lack of respect. Mm. And so disrespect is that person is intentionally doing it. Yeah. And lack of respect is the person didn't know. Yeah. And actually, I guess a analogy could be disinformation versus misinformation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, I think there definitely is an intent kind of thing. Like there were times where my kids were intentionally disrespectful. To yeah. Me. Yeah. They want to piss mom off. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which is kind of their job when they're teenagers. Yeah. Like, where yeah. are the edges? I have to find the edges. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and so to, but to basically, cause I think a lot of times, um, I think that something that's changed for me is, is pausing and asking like, okay, was this disrespectful? Mm. Or did they just not know? Yeah. And they were doing something that golden rule they thought I would like, or they, that they were doing something that, um, uh, that they would like themselves for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, um, and so I think that's changed a lot, just like the, the pausing, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and just asking myself, like, what is this? And at the same time, I think it's also important not to be, oh, well, they never, they didn't mean it. So I'm not going to say anything. Right. Right. There, because there's a, there's a balance there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if we want to remain in relationship with people, we mm-hmm. need to be able to articulate what it is that that we want or how something lands with us even if you didn't mean to disrespect me mm-hmm. it doesn't mean it didn't hurt it doesn't mm-hmm. mean it didn't bother me i it's funny cuz um i mean i was born and raised mostly in oregon mm-hmm. and then lived in seattle for almost 27 years and i've been down on the central coast of california now for about 18 months and it's astonishing to me how flaky California people are because mm. people cancel on me all the time, right? And and I'm thinking, really? And in Seattle, the interesting thing was like people would never RSVP for anything. You know, <laughs> out, you know, an invitation for an event or a kid birthday party or something. Nobody, you'd get like three people RSVP and then you'd have 40 people show up. And I'm thinking, really? What? What is happening? Or they RSVP like the last minute because <laughs> they don't want to cancel. Exactly. Well, and we don't know, like in California, it's funny because it's raining here today and it's like gray and soggy. It feels like Seattle. I mean, it feels like a January day in Seattle. Um, and people don't, they don't leave their homes in California when it's like this. Like, uh, nope, I don't care what plans I had. It's like, the, nope. <laughs> So it's, it is just, I do think that there are sort of these regional things. Um, yeah. But, you know, for me to be able to say to the people that I'm meeting down here, like, hey, I'm going to invite you to this dinner party. And it would be really cool if you didn't immediately say, oh, absolutely, I'll be there. Mm-hmm. Unless you really mean it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're sort of eh about it, then say that. I would so much rather have that. So that's the candor, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I need you to be honest with me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that you're, you know, don't be wishy-washy and think like, oh, I'll say yes, because I don't want to hurt her feelings. And then at the last minute, just not show up. Because that's going to be 10 times worse for me. Mm-hmm. But being, you know, that's the thing. It's like, 
being in relationship with people, we have to be able to say those kinds of things. Like, here's my preference, you know, because yeah. there are a lot of people in California who are lifelong Californians who just expect that people are going to flake on them. And so maybe they don't experience it as a problem, but I do. It kind of yeah. Bothers. And that's our expectations can change depending on the context and where, who we're interacting with. And it could be like, oh, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. Right. And it can also change depending on the company. I mean, I used to work at a big tech company where people multitask like, like all the time, mm. all the time, like, wow. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and then, and I remember, um, being at work and someone came over and they're talking to me and I was on my computer. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he was just, could you look at me, please? Mm. And I'm like, oh, I can't do this here. <laughs> you know? And, and so just that the, the changing of the expectations, which yeah. is why, um, I mean, actually I think about in terms of organizations, I mean, there's me, there's you as individuals, and then there's the team that we're on. Yeah. And then there's the company that we're a part of. Yeah. Right. And how that there can be a lot of switching even within that. Yes. Um, and the analogy I like to use is that of language. Mm -hmm. So the company that company wide, the forms of respect that they prioritize, that's like the national language. Mm. And then the different departments, that's that's the regional, they're speaking the regional dialects. They've got their own prioritized. And because you know, finance and engineering is gonna and marketing is going to be different, right? HR is going to be different. Yeah. And then there's me. Yeah. There's my preferences and what I care about the most. Well, and actually the people who do well in an org, they're multilingual. Right. They can code switch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I actually think code switching, I think, I think that it's gotten a really negative reputation. And I actually think of it as strategic communication. Mm -hmm. And I actually think I get to code switch because I know how. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if it's a choice mm -hmm. and, and it's something that you do that makes your life easier and it makes you able, more able to communicate with other people um, in different contexts, it's great. It's just when it's a forced thing mm -hmm. because your code in this one particular instance is not going to be recognized or respected. And yeah, I think that it can be. Yeah. And I mean, my hope is that uh, people will also be able to articulate, Hey, this is going to be a good place for me or not. Yeah. Right. Like what's, what are the behaviors here? Mm -hmm. What are, and, and because I mean, companies, employers, we can't be all things to all people. Right. Yeah. No, I'm thinking about it more in the context of like systems, like schools, right. Mm -hmm. For the kids who, the, the way that a lot of our schools are set up, it's sort of like, they're so rigid. It's like this mm -hmm. To show up. This is the way you have to do the work. This is the way. I mean, I, um, my nephew is on the spectrum and um, he's not in school anymore right now. But when he was and he was younger, that whole expectation of like, you have to sit still, you got to make eye contact with the teacher. You need to be like, that was incredibly challenging for him. And it would take all of his bandwidth to just force his body to be still and make eye contact. And then he's not processing any of what's actually happening in the classroom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, he's not mm -hmm. learning anything. And that, so for him, it was this, it was horrific. It was a horrible experience for him. And so, um, you know, those systems that we don't have a choice mm -hmm. about being a part of who that don't recognize the way that we need to move through the world, I think can be really harmful 
for people. Do you think that bigger or smaller organizations are better at accommodating those differences? I mean, I I tend to think smaller organizations are better because you there I think you can build relationship better. I think it's easier to have my sense is that bigger and I worked for the Washington State Mental Health Division. So that's mm-hmm. a big organization. And there was so much focus on like the policies and procedures and there was so much rigidity and like, we can't go outside of this. And this is, you know, this is what the Washington administrative code says, and this is what the law is. And this is, you know, um, and then I worked a lot with Seattle public school district as well. And it was the same. There was all this rigidity. It was like, there was a lot of, we can't do, Mm. and here's why, um, and so my, I tend to think that smaller organizations are better just at that flexibility, sort of figuring out like, oh, we we recognize we hired this person because they have this skill set. And if they need like an accommodation for something or if they need to be able to have a little extra time or do, you know, that that's my personal experience anyway from working at different um large and small organizations. But I mean, also every organization has its own culture too. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then as, as you were answering that, I realized I had an assumption, which is like, I was thinking the bigger the organization, the more resources, which mm-hmm. isn't always the case because there can be small organizations that actually have more resources and um, uh, to accommodate, because I was thinking like how like, having the different resources to accommodate different learning styles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I do think it's an interesting thing um, to think about. I was um, talking with someone with a group of nonprofit organizations around like, how do we resource nonprofit workers, right? Because a lot of those folks that are doing the frontline stuff, the street outreach for unhoused people and, you know, food insecurity and the, you know, kind of emergency sort of things are often people that are not well-resourced themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People like the people who are working with with folks in recovery are often in recovery themselves, right? There's mm-hmm. so tend to, and they don't get paid a lot of money and all of that. And we were sort of talking about like, what are creative ways where we can figure out we don't have as much money as, you know, the Gates Foundation or some of these other bigger organizations. How do we figure out how to resource each other? And it was all relational, right? It was like, okay, well, if I know you've got an elderly parent that you're taking care of and a kid on the spectrum, it's fine if you come in at Mm -hmm. 1030 in the morning and work later because... I know mornings are rough for you to like get everybody where they need to go and there's all of this, right? And so I don't have any of that. So I'm going to come in earlier and work the earlier shift or like there was so much more willingness to be flexible about it. Whereas a lot of those bigger organizations are like, no, everybody's working these hours. Everybody's doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the job description. So. Yeah. And Carrie, what you said about it's the the orgs that can be more relational. And then, and because I think of, uh, for curiosity and for respect, it's really slowing down and asking the questions, asking ourselves the questions, asking other people the questions so that we can build those relationships. Once we understand each other's whys, then, I mean, that's that goes a long way in terms of building a relationship and making those special accommodations if we can, right? As if it's, because that's another thing is just, well, I know that you need these accommodations and yet it really is going to 
make it hard for everyone else, right? And so and how do we have those conversations right. around that? Um, and then and and then to go, okay, well, is this is this gonna work or not? I, I do think that's something else I see, and I've done this, I've totally done this myself. We're bending over backward for one person mm-hmm. on the team. Yeah. And I was not seeing what everyone else needed, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's really a tricky, it's it, that's the constant balance yes. of 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 um being in a team together. How do we balance individual needs and collective needs? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and there are ways to do it, but that's part of why I was talking with this particular group around like, how do we resource folks? Because if we're under-resourced, we're more likely to be in that sort of fight flight Mm -hmm. and then we're not thinking creatively and we're not able to access curiosity, right? But if everybody is like, okay, we're going to all brainstorm this together and there are no right answers or wrong answers and let's just see then we can access the part of our brain that is curious, that does think outside the box, that can come up with creative solutions. And that's the piece that I think um, where, you know, it, that again, that's a practice. Like we have to, it so, goes so against the norm. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think the potential is huge for us to be able to create workspaces where people feel valued. They feel like they are contributing. They feel like they have agency and a voice. Um, and I think that goes a long way towards feeling respected too. Mm-hmm. And I like that accepting and understanding that it's a constant practice versus, mm-hmm. okay, this is the time that we've set aside to brainstorm. Okay. Brainstorm. We've resourced it. We've like provided daycare, everyone brainstorm today, <laughs> right? Right, right. It's just like, no, actually, that just, people have to come back and do it. Like, <laughs> like, I'm okay, right? I'm <laughs> just that, you know, just the body language. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that's something that I, uh, when I work with, when I work with teams, and so we surface, think of my work as just surfacing a lot of things. And just like, I'm not solving anything for you. We're only together for a couple of hours. I'm going to surface things. Yeah. And so after things have been surfaced um, for people in, as individuals and then as a team, it's just like, then I get a, just, well, how do we continue this practice? Yeah. How do we continue this practice? And, and how do and you know, my, I recommend just build in some time for that, asking each other questions that it can be, I, I mean, Carrie, I, I really don't like small talk. <laughs> like, I'm just like not a fan of small talk, right? I just think about all the time we spend in small talk. It could be, there can be this intentional relation, these intentional relationship building conversations that can also be related indirectly helping us with the work. Yeah. Um, and that's not about, you know, the weather and traffic. So yes. Yes, I completely agree. Everyone who knows me knows I'm not a small talk person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, we're going to get real and go deep or we're just not going to. Mm-hmm. That's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I have one more question before we finish up. Um, and this is kind of just taking things on a slightly different track. So I was reading um, something that you wrote about um, going to a market, an outdoor market, and there were all these <laughs> vendors, right? And there was this, and with the, you, there was a whole section of Vietnamese entrepreneurs mm-hmm. there. And it made me think about that, um, that kind of respect that's just sort of 
visceral and informal where we like see somebody because mm-hmm. we know they have a similar life experience to us. Like there's, it doesn't even have to be verbal. It doesn't have to be any action, but like, and I wonder if you could just maybe, I don't, this is all surface level. So I haven't really mm-hmm. flushed it out yet, but it was, it just really hit me when I was reading that. I was like, when you get into a space where you know that you can just recognize, like, I get, I get you. Mm-hmm. you. And yeah. that, that kind of respect. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, so that goes to the respect of, I feel seen and heard, right. I feel recognized. I feel. And so that's, um, that's interesting. Cause it's like a, there's, um, never been asked this question before. So I'm thinking of, uh, and with that particular essay, it was, yeah, going to this night market and seeing, whoa, these six food stalls are all owned by Vietnamese. Yeah. And just seeing that and like in, in having the conversation, right? Because I, I found out because I started talking to them and I started learning of how they were supporting one another and how, um, I mean, one of the things that's a really strong, important part of my identity is being a Vietnamese refugee and a, a boat person. Um, and and that we are able to punch above our weight class because we do support one another. Um, and so it is interesting how I, one of my favorite questions to ask is, um, in terms of an icebreaker is I'll ask, uh, what are three communities you belong to? Mm, like because that. some people think of community, even in how do we define community? Yeah. Is it an identity? Right. Is it actually a group of people Yeah. that you know? Is it, does it involve membership? Yeah. Does it involve being active in that community or do I just get to be in it? Hence like the identity, right? Like, cause I've heard people say, well, I'm a woman in tech. That's my community. Right. And I've heard people say my community is my family or my community is my family and my neighbors because of our constant interaction with one another. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, there's, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, Carrie, but I'm just like, that's just making me think of what you said. Like when we look at each other, how do we know that, how do we know that um, there's a sense of uh, connection? And sometimes it's like, we turn out, oh, you're, oh, you're not Vietnamese, you're Chom. Okay, sorry. Even though you have a Vietnamese last name, um, that you're actually like a, like a minority within Vietnam, then you feel that the Vietnamese people colonize your people. So, you know, it's just, there's all of these. And yet, can we have a conversation about this? Um, and I, I think that one th- like in terms of curiosity, how do we be open to different possible answers and different possible reactions? And how do we make sure that just because one person reacted in a certain way, that doesn't mean other people will react in that same way if you ask them that same question? Yeah. Because I think sometimes going back to the curiosity part, like, oh, I'm, I offended someone when I asked that question. I should never ask that question again. Yeah. And yet if we do that, then we're not taking risks to build relationships, right? Yeah, exactly. And you can't know, right, what it is that made that other person react that way unless they tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and and yeah, it's like some people don't want to be asked probing questions. And, I, you know, I'm not a small talk person, so ask away. Like, I'm an mm-hmm. open Okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. That actually makes me feel more respected because I feel like you genuinely are curious about who I am as a person and what 
drives me and what I'm passionate about. And, um, but there's something, yeah, I feel like I have to think about that whole sort of like, I see you, I recognize you kind of thing again. Cause it, to me feels this, it's very visceral, mm-hmm. right? I, um, when I see someone who's had a similar life experience to me and I like, there's just a vibe and I just get it. And it's like, oh, what yep. was an example for you then, Carrie? Um, an example for me was um, my, so my, I have an adopted sister who's Vietnamese and an adopted brother who's Filipino. And so I grew up, I have an older brother who's biological, who's white, but I grew up in a very small town mm-hmm. in the Southern part of Oregon where my brown brother and sister were treated horribly. And, and um, I met someone a few years ago who had a similar experience, who was a white person who had grown up with Asian adoptees in their family. And it, and there was this, like, we just got each other. There was this sense of like, yeah, our, our experience was very white, very privileged and Mm -hmm. whole other layer of like, um, fiercely advocating for and wanting to protect our younger siblings. And it was like, before we ever even really had a conversation about it, it was just this, it was just a vibe. It was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. get it. And we have all of these different experiences that can connect us. And then also, and I, I think what's interesting now is I feel like, especially, especially around politics is oh, but if we disagree about this one thing, it could totally divide us. And yet it's like, but there are many things that we don't have in common. How do we decide that one thing or like this other thing that will totally unite us, right? Because there are actually so many different parts to who we are. And also I was just thinking as you were describing that, I think about the question of um, when you think of like a, tra- uh, what do they, do they call it? interracial adopted family what's the terminology or is it transracial adoption i i can't remember yeah Yeah. so so what i've seen sometimes though is some people will get offended if someone's like oh is like when they make the assumption that that person like that your vietnamese sister is not your sister because you're of different races and then others are just like oh no well this is i understand why you think that we're not sisters and let me explain to you Right. And so, so think about the other person. I was just like, oh, if I see two people, I should not ask about their family status at all. Because I remember that one time I had this experience. Um, and yeah. so I should never ask versus like, no, I, but they still have the thought. Sure. Yeah. It's interesting. So, um, what I don't know if you know who, um, Resma Menicum is. Yeah. So I had taken a few courses with him and the very first one that I, that I took with him in 2020, he said something that I will never forget because it just like landed in my gut, like a rock and it's still sitting there. And he talked about um, how sometimes we show up in certain situations as our subjugated selves. Mm. Had us sort of go through and look at like, what is it that what parts of me are my subjugated selves? Like where where have I built up my defenses, right? So one of them was around that sort of 
understanding that watching my brother and sister be treated in this really horrible way, right? That that really did it. I'm also a sexual assault survivor, right? So I show up as my subjugated self when I get into an elevator by myself and then a man gets in and it's just the two of it. And that I'm always going to show up as my subjugated mm-hmm. self in that, in that instance, right? And I think that's what fear does to us, right? So maybe I asked that question once and somebody got really sort of upset with me and made me feel bad about myself. And then the next time I have to be really self-aware and pause to decide, am I going to show up as my subjugated self or am I going to show up as this person who is coming in with the clarity around what's important to me? And part of that is knowing who you are Mm -hmm. and asking questions and being courageous about that. So I just thought of an example um, of an Asian friend who shared, uh, I was asking about assumptions that, um, that we've made. And she said that she was at a party and she saw another Asian woman and they're chatting and she was like, well, you know how Asian parents are. And so, and, and then the Asian woman was like, her face got really, the person she was talking to got very cold And then, and so my friend kind of dug in and was like, I'm trying to build a connection with you, right? I think you're Asian, you know how Asian moms are. And, and it turned, and she was like, no, I'm, my parents are white. Mm. And because she was adoptee and she's like, and actually a lot of the other people here, they're adoptees too. And so my friend's first reaction was like, never say anything (laughs) to another Asian person about the fact that they may have Asian parents yet. And, and so, and yet, you know, it's a balance because like we have to take risks. Yes. Right. So, and I think, you know, we can't expect each other to just always know. Yeah. Right. Like how else do we learn Mm -hmm. than by having those kinds of experiences? And so if we can figure out how to not take those things personally and Mm -hmm. hold them against other people, then we're creating more space for more interactions in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. I, this was so great. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, for everybody who's listening, where there will be all the links in the show notes so you can find Julie. You can hire her to come work with your company. You can read her book. You can um, go to her website, read all of her essays. Um, and yeah, I just, is there any last thing you want to leave the listeners with? Uh, just uh, practice curiosity. Uh, practice curiosity in the world, ask yourself um, who and what influence how you think about respect. Carrie, thank you so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you and happy new year. Happy new year. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of It's Relatable. I'm your host, Carrie O'Driscoll, and you can find links to all the things we talked about on this episode in the show notes on the webpage for the podcast at mindbodyspirit.fm. Please reach out to me with questions, comments, and ideas for the show and download episodes and leave reviews on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you stream podcasts. If you like, subscribe, and follow, you'll be sure to get updated whenever there's a new show to listen to. The music at the beginning and the end of the show is a clip from a song called Get By. It was written by Lauren O'Driscoll, Alexander Parker Lawrence, and Moses Ray Walker. The song is performed by Lorelai and Sam Rydell, 
and you can find the whole amazing song wherever you stream music. I highly recommend it if you need a mood lifter. I also want to give a shout out to Moses Walker for helping me produce this podcast. He is always and forever making these technical themes seem so much more doable for me, and I am grateful for his expertise and advice. Until next time, take care, mind your relationships, and be well, everyone. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.